I know it's not scientific, but I, I did take an informal poll this morning, and I think we're roughly divided as a congregation between just right and give me an air conditioner, this is way too hot. Um, but uh, some of you are enjoying it, some of you maybe not, but uh, it is what it is, and uh, it, as John, John reminded us this morning, we're, our summer has finally arrived, and uh, uh, I'm glad that it's here. I um, wanted to begin our time uh, this morning with you before we get into, into God's Word by uh, reading just a number of, uh, of emails, or just little quotes from, from uh, emails. The first person writes, no question, I made a terrible, terrible mistake, and pray to God this doesn't come out and ruin my family. Next person writes, I wonder how much risk I am at being publicly embarrassed, and more importantly, embarrassing my parents and my siblings. Another person writes, I regret having signed up and now terrified by hurting those around me, especially the one I love. Someone else wrote, I'm absolutely sick. I can't sleep or eat. And on top of that, I'm trying to hide that something is wrong from my wife. Another person said, I'm just a guy here with a wife that I really do love. I regret what I did, and I have two beautiful kids that will get sucked into this too. It's just horrible. And finally, tell your wife and kids you love them tonight. I shall do the same, as I really don't know if I will have many more chances to do so. These are all the words uh, of people that were caught in the 2015 hack of the Ashley Madison uh, website. Ashley Madison, most of you have heard, was a, uh, uh, a website started in 2002 by a Toronto-born entrepreneur, and it was uh, launched with the slogan, Life is Short, Have an Affair. It was designed to connect people looking for adultery, looking for an affair, and it boasts tens of millions of users now in more than 50 different countries. When it was hacked, its entire database of user profiles was released. Uh, not just names and addresses, but details about people and their lives. There were re reports of suicide, divorce, high-profile online shaming that took place in the wake of, uh, of uh, this release. One man knew that he had no one else to blame but he, himself. He said, I think it would pr be a probably be a little naive of me to expect high standards from a company that was promoting itself as a meeting point for people looking for adulterous affairs. It's a bit like lending money to your drug, drug dealer and expecting them to return it. The thing with the Ashley Madison hack is that it's going to happen again, right? The circumstances and the details will be different, but you will hear the story of leaks and hacks like Ashley Madison probably throughout your lifetime. People signing up, getting involved, stepping into something with some, for some of them curiosity, some of it as a joke, some of it it started with just uh, try and see. And they get stuck and then eventually it all comes out publicly and disastrously. God's concern is 
to help you from being a part of the headline, frankly. God's concern is to protect you from the, not just the consequences, but protect you from the steps that would lead to your downfall. We've been in a series called Ancient Wisdom, and today we're looking at Proverbs for your purity. Proverbs to help you from being a part of, uh, of, of some of the, the tragedies that I, that I read. What we see in, this, in, in, in the scriptures is that sexual sin and sexual temptation is not like other things. It, it does stand apart. Stands apart in God's eyes, and it stands apart in even our society's eyes in terms of the the impact and the consequences. We realize that when we talk about temptation in this area, we are like prey, uh, and there is a hunter. That Satan is actually described as as a hunter on the prowl, looking for people to devour, and so. <clears throat> If we could today, with Scripture as our guide, with our Bibles open, I would like, <clears throat> I would like for each of us to pretend like we're zebras and we're going to have a serious talk about lions. The lions are real, and we're about as defenseless on our own as the zebras are. But God has given his uh, protection, and he's given us help. And so I want to turn to the Scriptures and to see that. We're going to begin by talking about the prey, how you can avoid being an easy target. Uh, Then we're going to talk about the hunter and some of his tactics. And finally, we're going to look at how how God can shield us from the the attacks that will come. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 7. Uh, Proverbs 7, and I'm going to read from verses 6 to 9. Proverbs chapter 7, verses 6 to 9. Here we're, gonna, we're just going to start off with the characteristics of easy prey, of a soft target. And the scene is of a father warning his son about something he saw one night that troubled him. He writes this, For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice, and I've seen among the simple, I've perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night, in darkness. Now, as the father looks out through the window, he sees a scene that is familiar, not unusual. It's not some amazing thing that was just shocked him by how unusual it was. It was a very common scene. But he describes it because He sees in it characteristics that lead to tragedy. And he wants his son to be aware of them and to see them and to mark them in his mind that he would not follow the same path. He sees a young man and notes that he's standing among the simple. And we said that last last time, a simpleton in Scripture, particularly in the book of Proverbs, doesn't refer to someone who's stupid. It's not talking about their intelligence. It's talking about someone who is hopelessly open-minded, someone who hasn't developed strong biblical convictions, right and wrong, true, false, good, and evil. The easy target in this scene can be identified with the company he keeps. He's among the simple. He's gathered around himself a, a group of people who are simple. He likes their company. He feels that 
when he's in the company of these people who are without deep convictions, he feels most comfortable. They're open to trying new things and testing old boundaries. They're not stuck in certain ways. They're not committed to certain lines. And it also says that they're youths, so they don't have a lot of experience. They, they haven't lived long enough to see the consequences of certain paths. And in this case, <clears throat> because they are also simple, because they haven't also developed deep convictions, deeply held beliefs about right and wrong, that lack of experience is a liability. It makes them vulnerable. This is a kind of company that the prey feels most comfortable around. Someone who will become an easy target, this is the kind of company that they like to keep. Doesn't have much time for old people, for instance. He likes the youth because they're telling him, the old people are telling him what to do. Whereas when he's with the, the simple people and the young people, they, they, just, they just accept him. And, and when he makes a decision, they affirm it because they don't have either experience or wisdom to guide them or to correct him. Verse 7 calls this Mark a young man lacking sense. He's gullible. He's foolish. His father either failed to impart wisdom to him or he refused to listen to it. Maybe it was a combination of both. Regardless of what he did or (coughs) didn't learn as a child, now at an age when he's embarking on adulthood, he not only hasn't gained any wisdom, he doesn't feel his sense of urgency about his lack of wisdom. Whatever he didn't learn as a child or didn't choose to listen to as a child, now as he's embarking on adulthood, He doesn't have a sense of desperation. Wow, I'm about to make some huge decisions in my life and I don't have the wisdom to make them. And he doesn't have an urgency to seek out that wisdom, to seek out wise people who would be a help and a blessing and a protection to him. Makes him an easy target. Because of that, in verse 8, he does what the lion waits for the foolish zebras to do. Lions are always looking for that. The lion waits for the zebra to stray from the herd. He takes a walk on his own, assuming that he can handle it. He walks away from the herd, strays from the crowd, takes a walk along a street thinking, I can handle this. He either thinks that he is strong enough to resist temptation or smart enough to somehow not get caught in it. Unfortunately, he is neither. He's not strong enough nor smart enough to to handle the lion when the lion appears. Zebras that stray from the herd seldom are. Now in verse 8, it says that he passes along the street near her corner. He takes the road to her house. The the woman isn't identified yet, but we learn later on that she's got money to burn and time to spare. She has... She has riches at her disposal. She has free time. She's married, but her husband's awfully busy. He's away on business a lot. It's seldom do you you see him at home. And so she's got time and opportunity, and she feels lonely. She has a reputation, so he knows it's risky, risky to even go near her neighborhood. But he likes the way she dresses. He's just hoping to catch a glimpse of her. 
hoping that he might see her. Verse 9 tells us that it's in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And as you're reading that, I hope you're getting the impression, boy, that's an awful lot of words to describe the time. Couldn't he just, you know, chosen one of those? And it's layering word upon word to, to stress that this is important. It's important. I'm not just telling you the time. I'm telling you this is a time of darkness. This is a time when the lights are out and people should be in their homes. Because it's dark, he figures no one will see him. Because it's dark, he thinks he might catch a glimpse of her in secret. Because it's dark, it feels exciting. It's a little risky. And that sense of excitement only spurs him on. Easy targets like to play with fire. If he didn't spend all of his time with simple people, if he didn't spend some of his time growing up listening to wisdom or seeking it for himself, he may have learned the lesson of Proverbs 6.27. It's that proverb that says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Your clothes get burned. You, you cannot play with fire without there being devastating consequences. And he either didn't learn that lesson or refused to listen to it. He went looking for trouble. It's dangerous to play with fire. People get hurt, and we often forget it's the collateral damage that is often the, the worst. It's not just the damage to the individual. It's the individuals around them, the consequences that flow from them. Nancy Ortberg wrote, wrote this. She said, I have this dear friend who is in a marriage that is just plain hard. It is. It's hard. But rather than face the pain of the hurt, she escapes for hours in the day into a fantasy world. A fantasy world that's starring a man in her church. He doesn't even know that he's figuring in her fantasy, so she feels like it's safe. But it's an amazing amount of time that my my friend daydreams and thinks about this person. She writes, sexual idolatry can could take a turn where it's got such a grip on you, you know full well it's an idol for you, and it's competing with and beginning to obscure who God is. I, I'm glad that Nancy wrote that because you might, you might have gotten the impression that this, this chapter was just written for guys. Here we've got a father, and so he's talking to his son, but it could and should have just as well have been a mother talking to her daughter. And it's a reminder that all of us are potential prey. All of us are zebras and the lions are real. That there is that very real sense in which each of us needs to watch the way that we take and to be aware of the consequences to our lives. And so the question that I think that all of us face is, are you easy prey? If we're all, we can't escape the fact that we're all zebras, but are you easy prey? Are you a soft target? Are the people who are influencing you, for instance, simple? Or are they wise? I say people, but nowadays it's, it's seldom really the people that are influencing. We don't, we don't spend enough time with actual people to be influenced by people so much it's often the, 
the people we follow, the feeds that we, we uh, uh, sign up for, it's the blogs that we read, the things that are digitally and electronically often coming into our lives have an incredible influence. Are those simple influences? Are those influences without conviction, without biblical underpinnings and strength and, and help? Or are those mostly influences that would help us and encourage us, that would be wise influences in our lives? Are you seeking wisdom? Maybe a question to start. Are, are you recognizing your sense of urgency? I need wisdom for me. Are you seeking after it? Do you listen to advice? Do you spend time in the scriptures? And like this young man, are you one of the people that tends to stray from the herd? Do you, for instance, make fellowship a priority? How often do you find yourself alone, maybe in the dark, in front of a computer with no one around? Or alone in a private setting with someone who isn't your spouse. And it's evening at the time of night and darkness. It's a reminder to us not to play with fire, not to be an easy prey, not to find ourselves straying from the herd. Don't play with fire. The stakes are too high. So we've seen the prey. Now let's consider the hunter. The hunter gets described for us in verses 10 to 21. So if you'd follow along with me, I'll read from there. It says, And behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute. Wily of heart, she is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold faith she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices and... Today I've paid my vows. So now I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly. And I found you. I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He he took a bag of money with him. At At full moon he'll come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. Well, you see a number of things here about the hunter. The hunter, first of all, dresses to seduce. We see her in verse 10 dressed as a prostitute. She wants to catch guys' attention by the way she dresses. She wants them to look at her. She rejects, first of all, biblical ideals of modesty and thinks those are old-fashioned. Those don't, those don't apply anymore. Those, those are, are things for people who are outdated. Instead, she finds her worth in how she looks and how people view her, how people see her. That's why she's out so much, right? That's why she's spending so much time running around because she wants to be noticed. She wants to be in the center of attention. Verse 11 says, her feet do not stay at home. She's out here, there. She's everywhere. She wants people to see her. Today it would say she's always thinking about how she looks on her Instagram feed. Because we don't need to run to the marketplace. We can just take pictures of ourselves, 
post them, and try and attract a following. But with a hunter, the motivation isn't just wrong ideas about self-worth. That, that in itself would, would be a problem. But in her case, she's actually on the prowl. She actually has a motivation. In verse 12, it says, she's in the street, now in the market, and in every corner she lies and waits. And it's a reminder to us that temptations to sexual sin are everywhere. It's interesting how the hunter makes the first approach. Verse 13 says, she seizes him and kisses him. I don't know how you are with public displays of affection, but in ancient Israel, it wasn't really a thing. Like, you didn't really do this. You kind of, you kept... Your, st- your stuff to yourself. And you didn't really parade it out in front of other people. So when she comes here and kisses him, like publicly and all of a sudden, her actions are designed and will have a shock effect. It's, it's scandalous. It's like over the top. He's kind of like stunned. Like, whoa, what do I do with that? I was just hoping for a look. The hunter stuns its prey. So many forms of sexual temptation and sin begin this way. Often people will speak of pornography addiction in this way. They, they just were, were curious, but it stunned the sentence. It kind of overwhelmed their sense of boundaries, and they were kind of caught. Then with the prey stunned, the hunter assaults all the senses. She says in verse 14, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I've paid my vows. It, it sounds, sounds very spiritual and religious. She actually accomplishes a couple of things in saying this, because when she speaks of her sacrifices, the word is the peace offering. And I know that you have uh, just... Uh, locked into your memory everything that we studied in Leviticus about the various sacrifices and offerings. So you know that the peace offering involved lots of food and it had to be eaten within the day. So she has been to the temple, she has played the spiritual, done the religious thing, eaten this grand meal, and now she's come home and she's got some great steak. And it's something that she's going she's gonna to use to entice this guy. But it's not just that. It's also smacks of religion. She can say, I, I, I went to the temple. I, I cleansed myself. I, I'm religious. I'm right with God. I've done like the, the religious thing. There's nothing to worry about. It's okay. Next, she takes aim at the guy's emotions and sense of self-worth. In verse 15, she says, Now I've come out to meet you. To seek you eagerly. I found you. She flatters him, saying essentially, you're the one I've been looking for. You're the one who, who fills me and completes me, and, and it's all about you. And yet, if he had any discernment, and if he hadn't spent so much time hanging around with simple people without biblical convictions, he would have seen the way that she was dressed as a prostitute and said, I'm getting the impression that just about anyone will do based on how you're looking. You're not really looking for me. You're looking for prey. You're looking for someone to devour. Next, she appeals to the young man's material interests. 
Starting in verse 16, she says, Spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Now, Egyptian linen was famous, and it was famously expensive. And the perfumes and spices she used also spoke of, of luxury and pleasure. It's, this, it's the honeymoon suite. It's the, the ultimate bedroom. And this guy, he's he just, he just a young guy. Like, he's probably still got his Spider-Man flannel, you know, sheet uh, set, you know. And, and it doesn't smell like cinnamon. You know, I can, trust me, I've, I've talked, I've smelled a lot of guys' sheets, and they very seldom smell like aloe and myrrh, right? He, he's like, wow, that sounds like amazing. I haven't, I haven't slept in a bed like that before. That sounds incredible. And he's thinking as she describes the scene and how rich and luxurious she is, he's thinking, she's way out of my league. I'd be crazy not to take this opportunity. She's she's got something for me, and that makes me feel something about about who I am and and my sense of self-worth, and and I don't feel like that usually, and and I want to feel like that. And with that, she gives an invitation in verse 18 that sounds like more like a song from Rihanna than it does something that you'd read in the Bible. Come, let's take our fill of love till morning. The prey is almost in the trap, but the hunter needs to reassure his fears even still. There may be something, some little thing holding him back still, and she wants to assure him. So hiding her claws, she says in verse 19, my husband's not, not at home. He's gone on a long trip. And he does this a lot. I'm, re- you know, I'm really lonely. This is, this is a difficult situation for me. The implication, of course, is there's nothing to worry about. It's the, the, the message that it's safe, that no one's going to get caught that we can do this and there won't be any consequences. Ashley Madison promised the same thing. Completely discreet. It's safe. Nobody gets hurt. In verse 20, she even adds what a huge amount of money he took with him. So there's no fear that he's going to return early, credit card maxed out. He's not going to have those problems. You're not going to see him until the new moon. If you're being tempted to sin sexually, whether it's on your phone, on your computer, in a restaurant, on a business trip, doesn't matter where it takes place, you will be tempted to think, well, surely there's nothing could go wrong. Surely this time, this place is safe. And when you hear that voice, the voice of the hunter telling you that, trying to persuade you that, Remember the scriptures and remember the warnings of God and remember that it's a lie. Remember that the consequences are great and no one comes out unscathed. 1 Peter 5.8 warns, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He is seeking not just a little extracurricular temptation to spice up your life in a way that no one's going to get hurt. Satan's goal is to devour you. 
His, his goal is to destroy us. And it says he makes this his life calling. Thankfully, God hates to see his children fall to Satan's attacks. Thankfully, God hasn't left us alone. Thankfully, God is greater. Greater is the one who is in us than the one who is in the world. And so he provides a shield from the enemy. So let's turn our attention there now. Just recognizing the consequences of sin is a shield against the hunter. And those consequences are spelled out in verses 22 and 23. Before we read them, just think for yourself what, how Hollywood would end this scene that I've described for you. Think of the excitement and the satisfaction and the joy and the delight that Hollywood would portray for us. The Bible paints a different picture. It says that this guy is like an ox that goes to the slaughter. It warns us of sin's deadly trap. And of the young man without sense, it says, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. He has no idea of the consequences. He has no idea how this will shift and shape the course of his life in a way that he will never be able to recover from. He doesn't know that there are eternal consequences to the choices that we make in this world. He walks into the trap. And we need to keep reminding ourselves of sin's consequences and remind ourselves that our very life is at stake. It's not just a simple trip down a dark path to a corner that seems risky or exciting. I read one person describe their slide into sin in three stages. They said, it starts with awakening because at first it was so exciting. Then it moved to obsession because it began to control more and more time and energy. It had moved on from that excitement to it it began to kind of cost a little bit. And then they said, finally it arrived at possession. It had taken over. He was no longer walking the dog. The dog was now walking him. He wrote, I learned quickly that lust points in only one direction. You can't go back to a lower level and stay satisfied. You always want more. Because Satan's goal is not just to give you a little momentary diversion. His goal is to take you down and destroy you. A second part of the shield that God provides for us is his word. Treasuring God's word is a shield against the hunter. The first couple verses here urge us to Keep his words and treasure up his commandments. A thing that this youth didn't do. A thing that this guy who liked hanging out with simple people without biblical convictions found himself doing again and again. It says, we're to bind them on our fingers and write them on our heart. To take the commandments of the word of God and engrave them upon ourselves. To to make them a part of our life and our conviction so that We respond in biblical ways so that we look at life through biblical lenses and we're protected by the rails that God would give. We need to get the word of God into our lives to guard against temptation. But 
specifically, we need to get specific verses that will help us to deal with the areas where we feel most weak. The areas where we feel the tendency to kind of blur the lines. God wants us to get, to get our, the word of God into our hearts in those areas so that the line would be clear and so we would be careful to uh, avoid it. In addition to warning us of consequences and guarding us with his word, though, God gives us, I believe, three people. He points us to three people who can shield us against the hunter and reminds us that we're not alone in the battle with sexual sin. The first person God points us to is someone to confess our sins to. Because temptation thrives in secret. Satan works in the evening, in the darkness of night. Easy target, stray from the herd. So God urges us to confess our sins to other people who can pray for us. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Confessing your sin to God is important. Confessing your sin to your pastor is okay. But the Bible commands for us to confess our sins to one another. And he commands us to do that because we need one another. Because when we stray from the herd, we are vulnerable and we are weak. And sin loves to, 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 to multiply and expand in the darkness. By confessing our sins to one another, we, we, remind our, we learn, first of all, that we're not alone. We gain the help of someone who will support and encourage us and often speak, us, speak into us when we need someone to pull us back. We need each other, and God has given us one another in the body of Christ to confess our sins to one another and to watch out and protect one another. When we don't confess our sins, we we think we're the only ones. We carry around a shame that will only make temptation stronger. Confession breaks the silence, and it breaks sin's hold on our lives. Secondly, finding a spouse, I realize, can be difficult. Marriage can be messy, but again and again, the Bible points to marriage as one of God's solutions for protection against the problem of sexual temptation. Doesn't mean that God always gives someone a spouse, but if God has given you a spouse, know that you and your spouse are God's means to protect one another. Proverbs 5.18 says, Rejoice in the wife of your youth. And verse 19 adds, be intoxicated always in her love. Some of you are thinking, you know, it's been a long time since it felt like intoxication with my my love, with my spouse, right? That's why I love the wording, though, of verse 18. It doesn't say, well, it says rejoice in the wife of your youth. It doesn't say rejoice in a youthful wife as if, once she's gotten to a certain age, you kind of start over again and you just keep looking for a a more youthful wife to to rejoice in and, and delight in. That's not what it says. It says, rejoice in the wife of your youth. The implication being that she's not youthful anymore. 
The implication is that a little number of years has passed now, and it's going to take a little bit of work. It's going to take a little bit of nurturing and guarding and protecting that relationship. Involves the kind of effort that's involved in most marriage vows. Protecting, guarding for you alone. It involves protecting your attachment, protecting your loyalties, protecting how you spend your time. And not just protecting. Look at the word rejoice. It is about celebrating and delighting and nurturing. That takes some work as you get older. If God has given you a spouse, God wants you to nurture the romance in your relationship. It's part of God's solution for us. That doesn't mean that it's your fault if your spouse ends up on Ashley Madison, but God does put an emphasis on a married couple seeking to rejoice in one another, delight in one another, and nurturing that love that they have for one another. So we're not alone in the battle battle with sexual temptation. God's word points us to someone to confess our sins to. It points us to a spouse to share our lives with. And finally, it points to a savior to rescue us. Jesus alone can provide forgiveness from the guilt of sexual sin. He alone will cleanse us from the stain of sexual sin. He is the only one who can provide relief from the shame of sexual sin. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he is the one who has purchased us from the slavery to sin. We now belong to him. Our bodies are now no longer our own. We are not, we are not free to give them away. He has earned the right to ownership in our lives, and he wants us for himself. He wants us pure and holy. God's word says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Do you forget that? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Remember for a moment that Jesus didn't have a spouse to protect him from sexual temptation. He, he really didn't have a... Uh, he... he, he, he maybe look for the best that he could find, but he didn't really have a a solid crowd around him, a solid group of people that he could count on. They were often faltering. But he kept himself pure for us anyway. And as a result, Jesus deserves our loyalty. He's earned our purity. So let's give it to him. Let's lean on his help as we do. Let's not stray from the herd, not make ourselves an easy target, but lean on Christ, rest in Christ, and take the wisdom that Christ would give along with the strength that he provides that we would be pure for him and glorify him in all that we do. Let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we don't, we don't want to be the next victim. We don't want to be the headline. So help us not to play with fire or to make an easy target. Help us not to isolate ourselves or to let sin grow in secret. For those of us with spouses, help us to nurture our marriages and work at them. And for those who long to be married, would you be gracious and 
provide for them. I pray, Father, for any here today who have come up to the line of sexual sin. Help them to turn to you in repentance before they go too far. And, Father, for those for whom sexual sin has begun to take over, help them not to try to deal with it on their own. Help them to look to you. Help them to look to another person who would pray for them and support them. Father, forgive us for the ways that we've dishonored you. By the blood of Jesus Christ, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For we ask you in the name of our pure and spotless Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.